started. So we're in this uh, series on the 12 steps, the 12 steps for anyone, and our focus today is step 11, improving conscious contact. So we've been in the series considering the 12 steps as specifically as a spiritual path. And, you know, think of spirituality as exploring ways to connect with a power beyond ourselves. That'd be like a broad definition of spirituality. Spirituality is to explore different ways of connecting with a power that is somehow beyond ourselves, a transcendent power. And this idea really is the heart of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's the, it's the uh, heart of 12-step recovery. Uh, AA, remember, was born in like 1935 out of the suffering of alcoholics at a time when there was virtually no successful treatment for alcoholics. And first, a handful, Bill W., Bob, uh, uh, the, the doctor got together, they, they added scores of people. Now there are millions of people who have discovered that turning their lives over to the care of a higher power is part of a process of working actual like miracles of recovery. The thing I like about AA is it has a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. It's all about what facilitates recovery. And so there is an understanding of God. We're going to talk about that a little bit here. But it's rooted in experience of recovery, not in what we might think of as doctrine or dogma. There's no my God is better than your God vibe in, in AA. It's all about here's what we've learned about uh, connecting with our higher power that helps us stay sober. And so that's a, that's a significant um, contribution to the whole understanding of spirituality. Uh, there is a definite understanding of God that is embedded in the 12 steps. Sometimes this gets overlooked by the fact that there's like a broad-based view of God. But six of the 12 steps refer to God. I forgot to pass out the handout. So Justin, maybe uh, Ed could help you, uh, or um, maybe a few people could help pass out those handouts. It's just a, a list of the 12 steps, and then the prayer that we're going to use as our um, time, time of quiet reflection uh, when I'm done here. But six, oh, oh, I also forgot, I, f I forgot my props. Um, pause. My name is Ken Wilson, and I'm one of the co-pastors of Blue Ocean Faith. And we have another co-pastor who hasn't been here for a while. It's Emily. That's Emily. I, I miss Emily. Do you miss Emily? Okay, Emily's awesome. She looks like this, so if you're new since Emily went on, on sabbatical, if you forgot what Emily looks like, don't forget Emily. She's coming back. So somehow it doesn't quite seem right to put Emily on the altar, but it's the only place I can put her right now. So, okay, good. So you've got, the, you've got your list of, of 12 steps, and I highlighted six of the 12 that mention God or a higher power in some way. I'm going to reference that in just a minute. So there's a definite understanding of God embedded in the 12 steps, even though it's a broad-based understanding. Um, and what, these, uh, what do these six steps that mention God tell us about the experience of God that 
Um, assist, facilitates, promotes recovery. Well, step two, this is a God with power to restore us to sanity. It's not a God who makes us crazy. It's a God who has the power to restore us to sanity. So a very rooted, grounded understanding of God. Um, step three, this is a God we can safely turn our lives over to because this God cares about us. So there's benevolence in this understanding of God. Um, step um, three, it's a God we can safely turn our lives over to. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I just said that um, because he cares about us. Step five, it's a God we can tell our secrets to. Um, he won't use the secrets that we tell him against us. Ever done that? Disclose something kind of vulnerable about yourself to another person, maybe in the workplace or whatever, something you're struggling, and then three months later they use that information against you. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. This is a God we can share like our, our darkest secrets with, with no fear that God is going to use these secrets against us in any way. Step six and seven, it's a God who can help remove our defects. But it's interesting, only once we've identified what the defects are. So it's not like God pointing the finger saying, this is your defect, now I'm going to pluck them out. We do the work of identifying our, our defects, maybe with some help from God. But then once we're ready, he's willing to help remove our de defects. And he won't remove what we're determined to keep. So there's a kind of respect in God for us and our dignity. And then step 11 that conscious contact with God is possible and it's helpful and there's like things we can do to improve it. That's a very hopeful step, you know. Conscious contact with God is possible. Uh, it's, it helps us and there are a couple of things we can do that actually improve our conscious. So whatever your sense of your conscious contact with God, it's kind of hopeful that, oh, it could possibly improve. There's things I could do that could improve my conscious contact with God. That's step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. So I'm going to focus on this underlined phrase as we understood, understand him. Because it's the only underlining in the 12 steps. And it happens twice. You know, you get those fundraising letters and they're always underlining everything in blue and bold and trying to get your attention. Tall Steps is a very significant document in kind of like the history of human approaches to spirituality. And it's got two underlines and it's the same phrase both times in step three and in step 11. Nothing else is underlined in the 12 steps. And anytime the 12 steps appear, it appears with these underlying. It's like part of the, I don't know, official 12 steps. So the backstory of the underline is that Bill W. was um, just forming, uh, you know, AA with his friends and other people who are coming into this experience of recovery. And Bill W. had had like a flash of light conversion in, in a hospital. Um, where he was being treated for alcoholism and, and he was just, he was at the end and he had like a classic light, white light surrounding him, God coming and visiting him and he just, whoosh, you know, had this big, you know, 
flash of light conversion. So he was super into God when he was developing the 12 step. And the 12 steps actually started out as six steps when the uh, fellowship was just getting started. And Bill W. saw the need to break him into, into 12 smaller steps so it'd be less wiggle rooms, what he was saying. And so he wrote the 12 out on a yellow pad and he presented them to the emerging group, the fellowship of, of what was becoming AA. And um, the group is like, they're a little irritated with all the God talk and he was doing it a particular way. They were, it felt like, man, he's pushing God on the rest of us. And they, a big royal like argument ensued over God naturally <laughs> in the beginning 12-step community and they resolved the dispute by inserting and then underlining God as we understood him and that like settled things for people and, and I kind of love this solution I, it's a, I love this posture we're not here to argue for this or that view of God there's, there, there's no power move here with God. No jamming my God down your throat. It's just, you know, like the defensive reaction we have around God talk. Um, but also remember that AA is a fellowship. It's a community of people seeking recovery. There's this communal aspect that's uh, really important. And as people learn things that help their recovery, these things are shared in the group so that, you know, I can benefit from your experience and you can be informed by my experience. And this is how human beings learn and how we thrive by this kind of group learning. Is that we don't all have to first invent fire, managing it, then invent the wheel. That, you know, we learn from others and that's part of the genius of, of humanity. So this was going on with people's experience of God in early AA. And by this time in AA, though they use this phrase, God as we understand God, there was a common kind of growing wisdom forming around how involvement with God can aid recovery. Um, and being intentional about improving conscious contact with God, taking steps to improve our conscious contact with God, giving opportunity for conscious contact with God to multiply, to flourish. That really aids recovery. It aids serenity. So step 11, improving context contact with God through prayer and meditation, is not about being religious or becoming a mystic or like taking on like religious errors or being one of those like special elite people who have like a pipeline to God. There's none of that in step 11. It's all about getting through the day. Improving conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation in this frame is all about getting through the day. We don't pray because we're holy. We pray to get through the day. So I want to spend a little time talking about what conscious contact with God in the Jesus tradition feels like. So, like, how would you know that you're having conscious contact with God? Like, what would that feel like to have conscious contact with God? So that you could say, oh, I think this is conscious contact with God. That's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, it's not a given that conscious contact with God 
would be appealing or helpful, right? I mean, there's a lot of understandings of God. We'd say, like, I'd really prefer not to have conscious contact with that God. Like, you know, the idea of a condemning God. Oh, let's go have con conscious contact and improve our conscious contact with the condemning God so we can feel more of that condemnation and feeling bad, <laughs> feeling shame. Like, no, it doesn't work. It's not a given that conscious contact with God would be appealing or helpful. Um, so now theology alert, <laughs> okay? Every tradition has its like, a mysterious take on how you connect with God or how you connect with something beyond yourself. Buddhism has its like, interesting, you know, native spiritualities have their like, and Christianity has its, if you're picking up what I'm laying down, I'm, I'm gesturing here. If you're just listening on the podcast and too bad you can't see this really genius gesture. <laughs> In the Jesus tradition, conscious contact with God is mediated by Jesus. So in the Jesus tradition, we're having contact with God that is coming through Jesus. So Jesus is functioning like a window, or Jesus is functioning like a lens, or Jesus is functioning like a channel, and our contact with God comes through that window or lens or channel. That I really like that because Jesus is human. And so, like, as a human being, Jesus knows, like, what I'm capable of as a human being to have contact with God. Like, you know, a certain kind of contact with God could, the power at the center of the universe could just burn you up, it seems like to me. So, I like a mediated um, experience of contact with God. Jesus as a window really works for me. Uh, it's a little... Even a little deeper than that, though, in the Christian tradition, when we open ourselves to Jesus or affiliate or align with Jesus, we share in his experience of God. So when you experience God in this framework, you are sharing in an experience of God that Jesus has. And it's like you, you're like in the room with him and what's happening with him kind of, kind of comes around you and you get, you get caught up in it. So this is kind of an interesting thought. And the nature or quality or feel of the Jesus experience of God is the feeling of a child with a wonderful parent who loves and cares for the child and delights in the child. That's what the feeling of conscious contact with God is like in the Jesus tradition. So, in my case, I was super lucky to have a taste of this kind of love from my mom, Blanche Wilson. Blanche Sybil Wilson. How's that for a name? Old-fashioned name. Um, inside my head, when I hear the word Ken or Kenny, it's in my mother's voice. Like somehow that just got kind of planted in, in me. It's in my mother's voice. And um, it comes with a feeling of like her regard for me, which is like delight. So I have this, you know. Now, now with my father, it's totally different. That's all critical and you know, like distant and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, had this, I had this one parent, my mom, who had this. And I... And I 
I'm just saying I'm blessed. This is not everyone's experience. I'm, I'm blessed that it was my experience. Um, so an example of this is I, which house was I in? I must have been like early 30s and my uh, mom was visiting. Maybe she, she was, uh, she did hospice with us. She was, she was dying. It might have been in that time. Um, but I was in the shower and in, uh, in the bathroom showering and I was singing in the shower and I come out of the bathroom and she said, you missed your calling. You missed your calling. Like, you, you sing really good, you know. And now, if, you, if you've ever stood next to me during worship and you heard my singing, like, it, it's generally on pitch. I, I, I can try. I was, I was grooving with Daryl, was doing some um, harmony, and I was, I was with him a third down singing. And I was like, oh, I sounded even better with Daryl being mic'd for the... It's, it's not bad. But you would never want to just listen to me stand up singing in an empty room. You just wouldn't want to have that experience. And it was more about her delight in me that was translated in this, in this comment. Delight is the feeling. So the, the Gospels indicate that Jesus prayed a lot. But what he actually felt when he prayed, what was his interior experience? That's another thing. For that, we only have one example so we don't have like 17 different examples of what did Jesus feel when he was having conscious contact with God? We have one example. And I think that one example is singular in the Gospels because it's like the heart of the matter. Um, and it's referenced in all four Gospels. It's, the, it's a, on the occasion of his baptism. In the Jordan River, John the Baptist is doing the baptism of repentance uh, sinners are allowed to come like, and get like a get-out-of-jail card free through this baptism. The, the religious authorities, the others who practice baptism, didn't like this approach. That was not the normal approach to baptism. The Essenes did baptism. They didn't do it like that. You had to do, go through a whole rigmarole before you could be baptized. So this is like a radical thing John was doing. And Jesus presents himself for baptism in that context. And this in Mark's gospel is the account of what he experienced. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, and was baptized by John on the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, in whom my soul delights. This is especially the wording of it is you. It's the in Jesus experience picture in Mark. Now, there's a difference between approval and delight. The difference between approval and the being delighted in. You know, we can approve people because they're doing something that we want to reward and we want to keep them doing it and so we approve them and as soon as they stop doing it we withdraw our approval and in that case approval is like in the lab with the rats it's the m&ms you know to you know get you going and you know we, we see leaders at a national level doing this kind of approval praising people and then as soon as you know they do something that disrupts well then it all ends and now they're on the s list and you know that's approval delight is different than approval delight has to do with your like fundamental regard for the person you know like you can delight in 
dogs that are just like jumping all over you and you know whatever you can delay it in kids who are misbehaving and annoying and and you know kids only survive because parents can delight in them you know <laughs> and let's face it and and so that's like your fundamental regard it's just like rejoicing in the person now the context of jesus experience of this delight and love is especially important because Jesus was standing in for us in this baptism. Remember, it's a baptism of repentance for sinners, for those like outside the pale. And he presents himself. He wants to be baptized too. John says, well, wait a minute. I don't think you need this. And he goes, no, this is important. And so he's being baptized like as a stand-in for us. And that's when he has this experience of being loved as a child and being delighted in. That's super good news for us. Because <laughs> that means that experience is available to people like us. It was not the, this one-off special thing that Jesus experienced because of the context. He was there as a stand-in for all of us in our, in our sinfulness, in our falling shortness. Um, that's, that's cool. So Luke adds, um, Luke's account, Luke's gospel adds a clarifying detail. And he says, and as Jesus was praying, this happened. So this is like classic step 11 before our eyes. This happened while Jesus was praying. Step 11 is about we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand God. Um, it's the only example we have of what it's like. So when Jesus is mediating con conscious contact with God, it has this quality. And that's worth knowing. This is what it feels like. You feel like a child whose parent delights in you. That is a fabulous, fabulous feeling. It's a very empowering feeling. So I'm going to give three examples of this feeling. Uh, so, um, one was a, maybe a month or so ago, Christine Modi was the guest speaker. Remember Christine Modi from Genesis, from St. Clair's, our host here. And, you know, she, she's an um, instructor of, she's a lecturer at the University of Michigan on writing. She, I think she runs the Writing Center, the Sweetwater Writing Center. And uh, Christine's kind of a, like a put together person, you know, and, and she's kind of a reserved person, not like an enthusiast by nature. And I'm just going to re repeat word for word something she said from her notes. She said, a long while ago, I was considering becoming a pastor and a priest in the Episcopal setting. To do that in the Episcopal church, you have to take a year-long course, and at the end of it, it's a retreat. During the retreat, we had some quiet time to reflect on a Bible passage, and I found myself sitting in front of a sculpture it was an image of God holding the body of Jesus just taken down for the cross in the way one might carry a child. That's an important image to get in your mind. God is heartbroken and grief-stricken. And as I, Christine, continued to look at that sculpture, the image changed in my mind to become something else. It became an image of Jesus carrying me. At that moment, I had a gut-wrenching sense for the first time of what Jesus' love is like and what it might feel like 
to abide in that love, gathered up and held close like a child. Now, I was sitting right over there where Brandon is sitting when Christine was speaking, and I noticed that she was getting a little misty, a little like, a little choked up when she said that. And then afterwards, she said something like, in an aside, she said, well, actually, that's the first time I've ever said that. <laughs> I told anyone that. Like, here, to this group, online. Hi, serendipity, duda, moms. And so I texted her afterwards, I said, did you mean literally that you never shared that? She said, I shared it with one other person, maybe, privately. There's reluctance to share this kind of an experience because it's so, like, intimate, right? You're vulnerable, you know, you're a child, God's loving you. You don't want to go around saying, oh, God loves me like a child, he delights in me, you know, like, shut up, you know, what are you talking? That's not like a socially cool thing to do. And so people have this experience much more than you hear about people having this experience. And it's, it's, a, it's a good one. So the second example is, this is 2012. I just ran across this and I was looking through some notes. It was the, one of the last times my late wife, Nancy, uh, led the single moms ministry that she started at the previous church, Ann Arbor Vineyard, uh, ministry that ended after, after Emily and I left and we started Blue Ocean. Record turnout that day, 60 moms, 80 of their kids, and about 50 men and women from the church to serve them a meal. So this was the single moms ministry. Um, there were round tables for, uh, set for like a feast for the moms while the kids were being cared for. Um, the menu was butternut squash soup, butternut squash soup, salad, pork tenderloin with an apple chutney. I'm not even sure what a chutney is. Um, and rice pilaf. I'm not sure what rice pilaf is actually. Um, and some dessert with a name. And this group of mostly youngish people were hovering nearby the wait staff, white shirt and tie, white aprons, the chefs, like three men in the back um, and with the chef's hats in the kitchen. The cafe was filled with the aroma of the meal. Nancy stands up to gather everyone's attention. She was, she was used to being in charge. She liked being in charge. This is like her moment, you know. She stood up, she said, ladies, your children are as far away from you as they can be while remaining in the building. A team of responsible adults is feeding and caring for them. They will be fine. This time is for you. We are here to serve you. Remember, this is single, a group of single moms. The hardest working human beings on the planet of the earth. So take a deep breath and relax. And she actually went through it, you know. And everyone takes a deep breath and they relax. She, Nancy proceeds to pray the grace. And she could take her time praying sometimes. And while she's praying, I'm getting all choked up. I'm at the meal. This is like one time out of a few times that I actually attended the meal. And I was there that night. I'm so thankful I was there that night. And I'm getting choked up during the prayer. And I've heard Nancy pray a million times. Like, hmm, this is kind of standard tropes. And, you know, you hear someone pray a lot. And you're like, oh, I've heard that before. But I was sort of like really moved by the prayer. Um, and when I open my eyes, the woman across from me at the table, uh, she waves her hand next to her face. And she says, oh, don't mind me. It's just whenever I come here, I feel so much love. 
And then that lasted, not the hand waving, but that misty thing lasted for about five, five minutes. So I was able to like experience this woman feeling this love in this setting. That was a feeling of God taking delight in people. And that's the Jesus experience of conscious contact with God. So, um, third example, the Ipsy Pride. I went to the Ipsy Pride. Um, we did this service projects, and oh my gosh, Mike, Mike Carthage uh, did a great job leading the African American Festival. Gave away like, I think all but 24 bottles, 500 bottles of water and, and LaCroix and stuff. And it was there for like, I think 10 hours, 11 hours, 12 hours. They were, he and a team of people were rotating. Mike wasn't rotating, he was just there. Kristen, his wife, of course, was helping and, and uh, giving away waters at the African American Festival. Lots of conversations, people interested in the church. It was, it was awesome. Well, I was at Ipsy, I stopped in a couple of times at a wedding to do Saturday. I stopped in and I saw them. It was great. Ipsy Pride, I was there for most of it. And what a blast. I, I, like, I'm not an old veteran of, of gay pride parades and, and events. You know, I've only been to a few in my lifetime. The scene was beautiful. Um, Washington Street in Ypsilanti. I like Ypsilanti better than Ann Arbor because I'm from Detroit. And Ann Arbor doesn't seem real to me. Ipsy seems like, okay, that's what a city's supposed to feel like, you know? <laughs> so I had that comfort thing going up when I go into Ypsilanti. And there were, you know, booze. Um, there were a bunch of Blue Ocean people at, at our, our booth. There was a guy who wasn't part of the church holding up a sign. He liked the sign so much. It was that one, we made some magnets about it, but we had a yard sign in this house. Science is real, black lives matter, you know, God is love. I don't know what it says. And he so, was so taken with that sign, he picked it up and he was just standing in front of the booth. And as people came by, he was like showing them the sign. That was, that was awesome. Um, it, it, was, um, it was raining though. And despite the fact that it was raining, the place was just filled with people. And you could kind of get the sense of the interconnectedness in the LGBT community in Ypsilanti because there were a lot of people who seemed to know a lot of other people and a lot of warmth and connectivities going on despite the fact that it's raining. Julia and I, my wife Julia, we went and got a bite to eat and came back. Julia wants to get her steps and I was jabbing it up with the ocean people at the table and so she went walking around and I lost track of her and I was ready to find out where she was and I was like anyone seen Julia and um, it's too bad <laughs> it was was it Joy or Lindsay it was Joy Joy was there and she heard me and said, I haven't seen Julia and then about two minutes later she says oh um, look over there there, uh, uh, there over there and I look over there, and over there is a booth with a, with a woman who didn't have like a lot of clothes on. She was just like basically topless, except for a couple of strategically placed, I don't know, stars, or I tried not to, to discern what they were that was covering, you know. And, and I'm, I'm like thinking in my mind, why is Joy pointing out this like almost naked woman to me, a pastor? Wouldn't this be like an awkward moment for Joy? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around, I say, yeah, I, it, she, she looks like she might be cold. I said something like that, you know. And she, and she, and she goes, oh, not her. I meant Julia. 
And then I'm like extra embarrassed because I'm looking at the naked lady instead of <laughs> looking at my wife and because Julia was passing by on the thing there. And then sure enough, there is Julia. Oh, okay. You know, so like we have a nice laugh about that. And then, and I'm walking around. And then, and then while it's raining, the, um, the sun comes out. And you're surrounded by buildings, so you can't really see the sky. But I know when the sun comes out while it's raining, there's a rainbow. And I thought, oh, this is cool. And then I just had this feeling of like, I feel really connected to these people. I felt like, these people are my people. And I had this feeling of like the light in the whole scene. And then as I was reflecting on it, I was like, oh... This is God. I'm feeling what God is feeling. And that was a very good experience of conscious contact with God. And it was also an informative experience of conscious uh, contact with God. So let me close up so we can get our time to it. I'm just going to skip the last part. Read the whole step. There's more in it that's important, and it'll occur to you if you read it. There you go. How's that for a great unpacking of the, of the step? We're going to do our quiet reflection. Um, so take, take a hold of that. This is a time would take maybe three or four minutes. I'll give you a little orientation to what we're doing first so you know what's happening. And then if you want to participate in it, you can just go along. Otherwise, just sit there. So um, I'm drawing this meditation directly from the 12 Steps in the 12 Traditions book and the little chapter on step 11. I think Bill W. wrote this book. Does someone know? I think Bill W. wrote this book. So it's his like actual advice about how to have a little praying time and a meditation time that over time will give opportunity to improve your conscious contact with God as you understand God. And he says a couple of things. First thing he says is pick a prayer and read it over several times. And then he introduces the uh, prayer of St. Francis. So that's at the bottom, that paragraph is the prayer of St. Francis that he's recommending. He recommends that you read it over several times, kind of notice any words or phrases that your heart is drawn to. In his inimitable way, Bill W. kind of, you know, deals with the fact of how we feel when we read a prayer like this and our critical attitude about it. He says, forget about that. Just go with this, you know. <laughs> um, so first you pick the prayer, you read it over several times. And then he, he says, um, use your imagination to picture a peaceful scene. And he paints the picture of a, of a classic, you know, ocean at the, at the ocean or Lake Michigan scene. And then he gives a little just, it's okay to use your imagination, and we alcoholics do that all the time. And that's what, when, when we're drinking, we're fantasizing about wonderful things that are going on. And maybe we could use this for conscious contact with God so we don't have to do these harmful things, you know. Um, so he put, gives a little apologetic for using your imagination. And he just walks through like a peaceful scene like the ocean. And then he says, like, okay, now picture yourself as like a channel of that peace that you feel at the ocean and move forward. So we're going to just walk through that. So we're going to take a minute to review the prayer, a minute to picture a peaceful scene, and then a minute to present ourselves to God for the rest of the day. Ready? We'll begin. Let's take a minute. I'll just leave a minute of silence for you to read over 
the prayer. I'll read it for the people online who don't have access to the handout. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, and where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather, than to, com rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. So I'll continue with that prayer for another 30 seconds. Now I want to suggest, along with Bill W., they just take a minute to picture a peaceful nature scene, maybe an ocean being at the, on, a, on a beautiful beach next to the ocean or Lake Michigan or whatever. And just take a minute to focus on the various elements of the scene. Place yourself right there. Pay attention to the sounds that you might hear. The waves, you know, on the beach, all that. The sights that you might see the feel, you know, the breeze on your face, the warmth of the sun, you know, the, this fresh water if you're near Lake Michigan or that ocean smell as you're by the ocean. Just place yourself in the scene and pay attention to your surroundings at the side of the ocean there for a minute. And then now, in your mind's eye, still in your imagination of that scene, uh, picture yourself like turning with your back to the ocean and all that. And um, imagine what lays before you as like the rest of your day. So that you're still in the presence of the ocean, you're surrounded by the same sights and feelings and sounds, but your back is now to the ocean and you're facing in toward the land and imagine the land as like the rest of your day and then just present yourself as a little channel, a little window of all that peace and goodness represented by the ocean that it would just like make me a channel of that peace. 
in my, in my day as I go forward. Just picture yourself as a channel, present yourself to God as a channel for that peace to some little bit of it just to come through you today as you go through your day. Amen.